Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. It's October and Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we talked to a community cancer practice based in Norwich about their work and the services and challenges they face delivering care to their patients. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. We do a fair amount of medical stories here on the podcast, and there's good reason for that. The cost of healthcare and the services available to us here in Connecticut seem to be constantly going up, and the choice of provider becoming limited as the large healthcare providers continue to swallow up smaller private practices. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and cancer care is also one of those services in the state that has become increasingly costly as we see more people diagnosed with some form of cancer that requires either short- or long-term care. According to the National Cancer Institute, as of January 2019, there was an estimated 16.9 million cancer survivors in the United States, and that number is projected to increase to over 22 million by 2030, with annual current estimated expenditure for cancer care at a staggering $150.8 billion. In eastern Connecticut, there has been a community cancer practice that has been providing cancer care for over 35 years now. It's called Eastern Connecticut Hematology and Oncology Associates, or ECHO. And I caught up with some of the team at ECHO to talk about the challenges they face and the services they provide and how they go above and beyond. We start with ECHO's president, Dr. Dinesh Kapoor, and I began by asking him to give us a short history of the organization and how it started. ECHO was started in 1985 by single hematologist and oncologist Dennis Slater, who graduated and finished his fellowship from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York and came and set up a practice in um, Norwich, Connecticut. Prior to that, delivery of oncology care was very sparse in this part of the state, and it was really a true testament to Dennis, who started providing cutting-edge care in the community. And we started treating acute leukemias and more and more complex patients, which initially the community was not ready for, and even the hospital was not ready for. But through his efforts and then subsequent doctors joining the practice, led to our practice, which now has six hematologists and oncologists, as well as seven APRNs and a robust staff providing cutting-edge care. Everything has changed. I mean, things change all the time. Progress in like medical technology, advances in technology. What have you seen? What are some of the big things to you that you've seen change over those 37 years that's like really are meaningful to you, not just the patients, but as a, a physician, as a doctor, as a medical expert? What are some of the things that really make you go, wow? So when I was finishing my training, with my fellowship, we would think about these antibodies and tests Never thought that we will have those during my career. And here we are that we have these elegant T-cell-based therapies that are really harnessing the power of the immune system to fight cancers. We have much better diagnostics. 
We have much better uh, supportive care. All these things that, you know, when I was in fellowship 25 plus years ago, I really did not think we'll have them. And for me, those are the wow things. Every day in hematology and oncology, you read something new. You find a new treatment. You find a new diagnostic tool. Find something new that you really say wow to yourself. The reason for asking that, of course, is here at Echo Associates, you have many, many different services. One of the things that is very big here and has always been very big here is the research department and clinical trials. Why are clinical trials so important? Because that's how we really learn about diseases. That's how we learn about new treatments, whether they're going to work or not work. At ECHO, we have a very robust research department that is geared towards providing cutting-edge care to the patients. At any given time, have 36, 37 clinical trials open. We were the third ones to enroll a patient in a sarcoma trial. We are now working on a vaccine trial for colorectal cancer and many more in between that really give our patients the option when there is none available or give patients the option initially to bolster the effects of the currently available treatments. And that's how you really advance medicine. That's how you learn about what things are going to work and minimize the side effects for the patients. Is it also as well the ability, because you're sort of like nimble, that you can get people onto these sort of like trials faster because you're in control of them? Because, you know, we always hear about clinical trials, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get on it. In our case, uh, we are very fortunate. You absolutely nailed it by saying nimble. We can open a clinical trial right from contracting to starting within 30 days. I'll give you an anecdote. When COVID first started, the tertiary care institutions in Boston were having a hard time opening clinical trials. So one of them called us and said, hey, listen, we have a patient with a very specific mutation, and I know you guys can open a clinical trial within 30 days, whereas we will take six months. So we have a patient. Can we send the patient to you? So we opened the trial in 28 days, got the patient enrolled on the clinical trial, and eventually six months later, the patient moved all the care back to Boston once uh, they opened the same clinical trial. So there are a lot of times that we, before a tertiary center even is able to open a trial, we've already closed it because we've already met the quota that we were given to enroll patients in. One of the big things I know about Echo Associates, it's that personal care, personal touch. Why is that so important? You know, Echo is a practice in the community and for the community. And we have really taken the mantle of providing this level of cancer care in the community. And to that effect, we take it very the, this responsibility very seriously. We have our own uh, social worker. We have our own uh, triage nurses. We have our own nurse navigation. We want to provide patients with everything in one location. So to that effect, we have our own lab, our infusion center, our dispensing research. So everything for a patient right in one site. The need for patients doesn't go away just because the cancer is getting treated. In fact, the need for patients increases when they're undergoing cancer treatment, not just for themselves, but also for their own caregivers. And we find that the communities are not prepared for it. The systems are not prepared for it. And we've taken this responsibility very seriously. And that's why we keep on doing all these things for our patients, which includes uh, getting them all kind of financial assistance, getting them grants. I'll give you an example. Patients have a hard time sometimes with their utility bills. We want to minimize any of those things that negatively impact a patient. We want to take it off their plate. And we have realized that the bigger institutions are really not stepping up in doing these things, and patients are left to fend for themselves. The cost of care, it is a phrase that we hear all the time. Cancer 
Treatment, cancer care, cancer services are not cheap, are they? They are not cheap at all. But at the same time, believe it or not, the most efficient and value-based care is provided in in, uh, in community cancer centers, in independent community cancer centers. Unfortunately, in the country, due to various policy mishaps, whether at a federal level or at a state level, these have made the networks much more stronger, and it is eliminating those community uh, practices because they have to become part of the systems. And as soon as they become part of the system, that personal touch etc. goes away. Multiple studies have been done now that cost of care in a hospital-based setting or in a network-based setting is two to three times the cost in a community oncology practice, independent community oncology practice. And on top of that, the hospital systems are able to take advantage of site of service, 340B programming. In Connecticut, we have certificate of need. All this leads to stacking the deck in a hospital or a network's favor. Consequently, the practices have to bear the uh, effects of these low reimbursements, but that's the world we are living in, and that's the fight we fight. When somebody gets that diagnosis of cancer, in this day and age, depending, I suppose, obviously, on the type of cancer and and how aggressive it's already within them, it isn't the death sentence that it used to be years ago, is it? No, it isn't, but uh, we still have a long way to go. I think the, the fact that people say that there's a magic bullet or a magic pill or a magic test is a fallacy in my mind. Cancer is an evolutionary process that has happened over many, many, many years in a patient. Their body structure, systems, immune system are very tailor-made to that individual. We have not reached that part where we can say that we are able to now take care of each individual in that way that we will control their cancer, but we are getting there with personalized care. With all the diagnostics that we have, all the testing that we have, finding specific mutations in patients and then targeting them uh, for that cancer or mutations that are that we find that we found which we, which we thought were in other cancers, but now we are seeing them in some other cancers and try, treating them with the medicines, specifically targeting those is where the world is headed. Are we there in saying that cancer is curable? I would rather say that cancer is very much treatable and our goal should be to make this into a chronic disease. If along the way cures start happening, then I would take that as a bonus. We've got Anne and Christy with us at Echo Associates. I understand that you two run the place. Is that correct, Anne? Yes, it is, with a help of, a lot of help of Christy and about 60 other people. We run the place, yes. I joke, of course, because I know it obviously it is a big team, but I know that you are both very important players within the entire team here. So we're going to talk a little bit about your roles, how you make people feel comfortable when they come here, because it's a frightening experience, I'm sure, when you're given that diagnosis of, of cancer. And just talk to us a little bit about you know what it is that Echo Associates do. Christy, let me turn to you first then. What's your day-to-day role? So my day-to-day role is just making sure that the patients are scheduled, they get in, they have their team of nurse navigators, the team of nurses, and everybody knows what they're doing on their end and making the patient comfortable. When people get that diagnosis of cancer and then they're coming here, you know, to get that care and attention from the team, I'm guessing they've got a lot of questions that they want answering. Would that be correct? That is correct. And we direct them over. We have a social worker. We have our nurse navigator on site. And we also have a team, financial team as well, to hopefully get them all the answers they need before they leave their appointment and start their chemo. I was going to say, you've got a lot of services here. I'm just going to quickly turn to to Anne now, because we can only touch on so many things. uh, And I know you do an incredible amount of work. And tell us a little bit more on a higher level, the mission of Echo Associates. It's very community driven. 
Why is that? Yeah, Brian, as you said before, that when a patient gets that diagnosis of cancer, a million things run through their head, I'm sure. And it has always been the goal of our organization to make sure that they get every service that they need, that they are navigated through all of those scary things. You know, one thing that comes to mind is I listen to the receptionist talk to patients, and they're talking to them about PET scans and CAT scans. And I sometimes have to go out and say, you know, the patient's this 85-year-old woman has no idea what a PET scan is. Please let her know what it is exactly, and let's walk these patients through every step of the way, from scans that they're going to have to what their financial concerns may be. That's where Christy uh, comes in. She plays a huge part in making sure that our patients get the financial assistance that they need because it's growing ever-increasingly more each and every day. Talk to us a little bit about it, because I know it's a very complex subject, so I don't want to go into it like hugely with you. It is costly, you know, doesn't matter if it's cancer or general medicine, everything, the cost keeps going up. So what sorts of things do people, what concerns do they have that you obviously just have to talk them through? Because I'm guessing sometimes maybe insurance doesn't always cover everything. That is true, Brian. Insurance doesn't cover everything, but it's the things such as transportation. The patients, you know, you know the drugs cost a lot, you know insurance, hopefully it covers, you may have a copay or a deductible, but you look at the big picture, they might not have transportation. And we did have a patient on Thursday who was going to cancel his appointment, communicated with our nurse navigator, Tammy, and we found out it was just because he was canceling because he didn't have transportation. So we provided that transportation. So from nuts to bolts, we will look at the whole financial picture for the patient. I'm guessing as well, of course, is, you know, not everybody's going to have maybe a friend or family member that can bring them to, you know, their treatment. And and I'm guessing some of those treatments, people are a little bit sort of like tired after they've had some treatments and maybe, you know, driving themselves isn't isn't an option. So like you said, it's not something you think about, is it, the whole transportation thing? That is true. It's not. And we have Heather, who is our social worker, who does a great deal of um, transportation for our patients, but it's just not something that you think about. It's true. They are tired. So it's good to have that driver for them. There's so many services that you provide here like I said we can only really just like hit the tip of the iceberg again are people surprised at the amount of services that you actually do supply here Yes, absolutely. You know, we've done, we've provided all these services out of necessity. There was a time when the big hospital systems were able to provide a lot of those services. For instance, social workers, discharge planners, care coordinators, and now they are not able to provide those any longer for for our patients or to the extent that patients need them. So we thought that we needed to bring all these services in-house, which we did. We have a wonderful social worker. Uh, We provide, you know, financial financial counseling, all kinds of resources through either internally here in the practice or people that and organizations that we've partnered with along the way to make sure the patients still get the services that they need. Again, one of the things, and there's a whole list, a medically integrated dispensary, I mean, very important for the people who are receiving care and treatment. It is. You know, you try and create one-stop shopping, if you will, for patients so that they don't have to go running around all over the place. And the other reason for that medically integrated dispensary is that we do the patient education on all of the drugs that we dispense, whether they be infusional drugs or oral drugs. We sit with our patients for sometimes an hour. Our nurse navigator, nurse educator will sit with them to explain all the side effects. Um, They're given the drug before they even leave the office. So they don't get into their car, drive to the pharmacy and get their prescription. We do it all here. 
I mean, it is so important, again, isn't it? Because, again, unless you have been given a diagnosis of cancer or you've gone through something major like this, people listening to this aren't going to realise what a toll it takes on people, not just physically but mentally as well. How do you deal with that? Because it's a, it's a real human service, a human personal service that you're providing, isn't it? It is. You know, again, we look at the whole picture and it's not just the matter of the medication. It's what are their needs? Who's going to guide them through this? And again, we go right back to our nurse navigator who spends a great amount of time and whatever time the patient needs. So we just make sure that they're bundled in a nice package, so to speak. Now, of course, you provide cutting-edge care here. Um, We're not going to go into it because, again, there's so many different things that obviously you supply and we don't want to bamboozle everyone with with all this incredible stuff. But one of the other things that I, I notice is alternative medicine and support services. Talk to us a little bit about that, if you would. So we also have Holistic Care, who we've partnered with, and um, they're able in Waterford and in Norwich here. So we're able to bring the patient over to have massage or acupuncture and, and those needs. And it also cares for the caregiver as well, because the caregivers get burned out as well. Yeah, something we forget, isn't it? If it's a family member or if it's, a, again, a friend, that it's already hard on the person who's having to deal with it, but it's just as, as difficult, isn't it? I mean, things like acupuncture massage, again, it's not something you would instantly think of, but it does work, doesn't it? It does. Um, there's also yoga, and I think Anne can explain this a little bit better than I can, but nutrition, all those come into play with our patients. And just give us a little bit more so like on that then, as, as Christy was just saying, because like I said, these we call them alternative. Mm-hmm. And they're not conventional. So just talk to us a little bit about those. I think somebody might be listening to this game, massage. But how, how does massage help somebody who's got a diagnosis of cancer? There are certain cancers affect the lymphatic system. And there is lymphatic drainage massage that are tremendously helpful to patients. Other things like neuropathies or um, numbness in their fingers and their toes, massage, acupuncture, all helps with that. And these are proven therapies. So um, this isn't just something that someone is dreaming up and hoping that they're going to help. But most of the time we can, you know, along with um, just the right mindset for these patients as they're going through these therapies, just to relax, relaxation techniques so that they can get good sleep and have some good health. The one thing I've noticed, and I've been here very, very shortly, waiting to do interviews with your good self and the, and the rest of the team, is very quiet here. People seem very happy that, you know, that even in the waiting room, you know, it's sort of, it's a very sort of like serene atmosphere here. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, it, that's the whole point, isn't it? It's like, you know, to make it, I know people are coming here for, for treatments, et cetera, but it, it's, it, it's very calming. Yeah, we try and make it as calming as possible. There are other times throughout the day that it might be a lot more busy. We, we could have up to 200 patients a day through the practice. Uh, for one reason or another. And having all the services available in one place sometimes does make it a bit chaotic. We, you know, we we have about 7,000 square feet, and we probably need to be in about 14,000. But we make make it work. Our staff, we have an incredible staff of about 65 people. They are all very happy here. They all help. They all play a part in the patient's healing. 
Cynthia, so many thanks for joining us on the podcast. Talk to us a little bit about CPAN, which is a patient advocacy network, and, and how that ties in with the work that ECHO does. CPAN is made up of nurses, caregivers, patients, anybody in the community that's affected by cancer, whether it be a family member or them personally. ECHO recognized a need for our patients to have a voice, so we were really excited when we were chosen to be a chapter, and we're the only chapter in Connecticut. Talk to us a little bit about then the work that you do. So you're an advocacy network. We understand what advocacy and it's a very important thing that, you know, that people have advocates like yourself and this network on their side. So how do you help them out? We have these monthly chats called advocacy chats and anybody is able to attend them. They're advertised on our website. So they deal with health disparities. They deal with any issues that are going on with patients, survivorship, so I'm going to ask you about a program called 340B. So 340B is a program from Medicaid. And what it was originally supposed to do was it was supposed to lower the prices for hospitals to be able to give better care to indigent populations. And they were supposed to use the funds from the savings back into the community. Inadvertently, it had a negative impact on private practices because we had to buy the drugs at full price. So they were getting it at a more discounted price. And they've been putting the money back into building new hospitals, acquiring practices. The money wasn't used for what it was meant to be, which was to put back into the community, back into the patients. But it did have a negative impact on private practices. Some folded and some were acquired by hospitals. Because it's not done what you had hoped it would do, what do you do about that? So CPAN and COA have brought down to Capitol Hill these issues. They brought it before people that can make a change. So now it's on their radar and they're starting, I believe they launched an investigation to see where these funds are being used. So now people's eyes are starting to open up and hopefully it will get resolved and we won't have this issue where we can't afford drugs anymore and be able to treat the patients in the community where they want to be treated. They're not a number in our practice. They're not numbers in community practice practices. We know their families. We know their pet names. We know what they like, what they don't like. They get to have a personal um, experience with their own nurses. You know, in the hospital, it's it's hard because they get pushed to see patients every 15 minutes and give meds. Um, when you are in a community, you get that personalized touch. You know, we're proud of that. And we, Dr. Kapoor does a good job of making sure that we stay relevant and ahead of the game. You know, we deliver cutting-edge care. That's what CPAN does. CPAN makes sure that that's recognized out in the community and show the difference between what you get in a community versus what you get in a hospital. As we said, you know, advocating for the voices of people who have been diagnosed with cancer or living with cancer is so incredibly important. So thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you bringing light to this. It's, it's really important for CPAN, for COA, and for our community practices. You can find out more about the services of ECHO at their website at echoassociates.org. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Research shows that screening with mammography can detect breast cancer early when it is most treatable. If you're a woman over 40, schedule your annual mammogram today. Women of any age who are at high risk should talk to their doctors about when to start screening. While white women have a slightly higher rate of breast cancer diagnosis, black women are more likely to die from the disease. For more information, visit radiologyinfo.org. 
Got deer problems? Let us help. With Green Valley Tree LLC's Deer Preventive Spray, guaranteed to keep deer away from your precious plants, bushes, and trees for up to six months. With cold weather on its way, deer will be looking for sources of food. Don't let your front and backyards become their pantry. Call Green Valley Tree today at 860-234-4041 or visit us at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week, sponsored by... Healing Therapies Through Sharing is Eastern Connecticut's Holistic Wellness Center for those recently diagnosed or living with a cancer diagnosis and their caregivers. We offer a range of services including adult and pediatric oncology massage, lymphatic drainage, craniosacral therapy, yoga for cancer, and much more. For details about our full range of services and our team of licensed professional therapists and providers, visit our website at healingtherapiesct.org or call us on 860-443-0800. We look forward to hearing from you. Connecticut's annual crime statistics for 2021 were released recently. The report showed a 3% reduction in crime overall in the state for last year, with a 9% reduction in violent crime and a 2% reduction in property crimes. James Ravella is the Commissioner for the Department of Emergency Services and Public Protection, who compiled the report and said although the general trend for crime was down, there were some exceptions with a 23% increase in reported rape cases in the state. That's 148 difference in victim reporting. I do want to point out to you in 2020, we had 638 down from 806 the year before. And we've been digging a bit on why this is occurring. We believe part of it, not a lot of it, is a reporting issue. Some victims take some time to report it to us. And we've identified different cities and towns around the state. Ravella said the crime statistics weren't complete as they are still waiting to receive data from the FBI for Connecticut, but all municipal and state law enforcement figures had been received. Governor Lamont praised the hard work of the men and women of Connecticut's police departments, but said it's not all about law enforcement. We've made the biggest commitment to diversionary strategies, giving the young people better options, get them off the street, get them the more productive opportunities. If it's a first-time offense and they're knucklehead and they do something dumb or even dangerous, see how we can get them back onto a better track. And you see that in terms of project longevity and compass. These are all the other ways that we were able to make our communities safer. The report also finds that over the last 10 years overall, crime in Connecticut has fallen by 30%. A $2.3 million feasibility study is looking to see whether the state's Shoreline East Rail Service could possibly be extended. A bill passed during the 2021 legislative session instructed the state's Department of Transportation to undertake the study on extending Shoreline East to Westerly, Rhode Island, as well as establishing new rail routes from New London to Norwich and new rail stations in Stonington and Grotham. Jim Gilday is the chairman of the Commuter Rail Council and says people are using trains to travel within the state more. Most necessary first step is getting the schedule back to 100% pre-COVID numbers and opportunities, just like the Waterbury branch, just like the Hartford branch, just like the New Haven line, just like the Danbury branch, and just like the New Canaan branch. There's no reason why Shoreline East should not have 100% pre-COVID schedule. He also said people's use of rail services has changed as well. I think every metric 
that has occurred since COVID from a ridership perspective really does indicate that the state of Connecticut is thirsting for intrastate rail. I think we've moved past the days of the rail line only being a vehicle to get people to New York City. There's been a significant paradigm shift. And the University of Connecticut has named its 17th president, Dr. Rodenka Marek, after a worldwide search that lasted more than six months and garnered 150 applicants. Marek took the reins of Yukon as interim president in February 2022 when Andrew Agwanobi, the former interim president, left for a job in the private sector after just one year in the position. Marek, who was born in the former Yugoslavia, has been with Yukon since 2010 when she joined as a professor of chemical and biomolecular engineering and went on to become the vice president for research, innovation and entrepreneurship. She was officially voted in by the Yukon Board of Trustees and thanked them and her colleagues as well as her mentor. I want to acknowledge that we all stand on the shoulders of giants and I'm standing on the shoulders of all previous presidents and leaders who made this university great. But I want to in particular acknowledge our first female president, Susan Herbs, who was my mentor and president. The Board of Trustees said they hope her appointment will bring to an end a period of instability at the university that has seen a number of previous leaders leave in a short space of time over the last few years. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.